Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. A wild evening. Elections going on in Virginia, New York City, New Jersey, all over the country. The most important one, I assume, tonight is the Virginia race. Very interesting so far. Uh, McAuliffe is losing by 200,000 votes. With 61% of the vote in, uh, Youngkin is ahead of him, considerable amount. It seems 200,000 votes. But NBC and the other stations are saying, too soon to call. Too close to call, rather. Not too soon, too close. Uh, apparently, those areas of Virginia that generally go Democratic big have not come in yet full steam. They're still what, 39% of the vote to be to be counted, and they're waiting for that. I don't think McAuliffe is going to win. Uh, I feel sorry. I'm a Democrat at heart, and I, I this youngkin, uh, I'm going to say it this way, didn't pull the wool over my eyes. He, he's a Trumpy at heart uh, and stands for the same things. He just knows how to say it in a different fashion. Uh, I, I'm very impressed that they were able to make education such a major issue, uh, it's wrong. The people are stupid who accept this line in Virginia. Uh, You know, the parents should be involved in the education of their children. They are. They join the PTA. They go to school meetings. They have teachers' conferences. They can go to the the meetings of the... uh, of the school board, they can talk at the school board meetings. What do they want? This is the way it's done. Professionals must be involved first in the education of our children. I, as a lawyer, don't even know what goes into preparing a proper curriculum for a child. That's all I can say. And they rabble-rouse the people of this country on, a, on, a, on an issue, one of those cultural, social issues that they always do. It's wrong because it's not a big deal issue. It's not an important issue, but they make the people think it is. Uh, I see Youngkin winning tonight. Uh, does this mean that the Democrats are in trouble for next year? I hope not. I really don't think they will be uh, because... Biden already has a good track record. Uh, Manchin and Cinema have screwed up his uh, social infrastructure package. Uh, at some point, it will get passed. Uh, not everything is in it, but from what I understand, and I'm just like you, I just listen to TV and read the papers, uh, it's more than anyone has ever gotten. It's a big package overall. And so I think... It won't affect the Democrats come next year because by that time, Biden will have more. Look what he did last year. He comes in in COVID. He's giving people money. Uh, 
families with children got money. He made sure the pills got out, the vaccines got out. He did what Trump couldn't do. Trump had the bullshit and uh, Biden produced. So I'm not concerned. I don't like what's happening tonight, but I'm not concerned. And I'll be shocked if the Democrats win in Virginia, even though the, the TV analysts are saying too close to call with a 200-vote margin out there. Could be they're right. I hope they are, and I hope it goes the Democratic way, but I doubt it. Now I want to tell you about another election. Uh State of Virginia again. Very interesting. Uh, but this election took place in 1758. That's, that's like, what, 18, 20 years before we even fought the revolution. Uh, the election was for the House of Burgesses in Virginia. And this is the way elections were generally held back in those days. And keep in mind, you know how they're run today, uh, ballot boxes, secrecy as to how you vote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here's what happened back then in 1758. Uh, <laughs> the election had no ballot box. Individual citizens didn't sign a ballot. Uh, everyone knew where people stood. They would meet in a particular town. The candidates would come. The can- they'd sit in a big hall. The candidates would speak. Uh, people supporting them would speak, and then they'd vote. The vote was by hands up or by yelling. And it was determined who had won the election. Yes, that's the way it was done back in those days. And uh, so it was by voice, vote, or show of hands. And the key to this whole thing, and this is what I find amusing, uh, the candidates were expected to bring alcohol with them, booze. Booze to share with the people who were to vote. So they'd show up with the booze long earlier in the day with all this alcohol, booze up the candidates, party with them before the election was held. Uh, And they were expected to bring the alcohol. George Washington was a candidate for the House of Burgesses in 1758. Now, he was already a wealthy man. He was a planter, okay? And uh, he had a reputation. Uh, He had fought brilliantly in the French and Indian Wars, and everybody knew who he was. Now, here is what the father of our country subsequently brought with him uh, in the way of booze to get the voters to vote for him. He plied them. He plied them. He boozed them up to potential voters with 47 gallons of beer, 35 gallons of wine, two gallons of cider, three and a half pints of brandy, and 70 gallons of rum punch. I'm laughing as I'm reading this. Can you imagine? be great if we did things like this today. I'm only kidding. But that's how they did it. And, of course, George Washington won. Whether it was because he was a great commander, he was a wealthy man, he was a respected man, I'm sure all those things went into play. But if he didn't bring all that alcohol, he probably would not have run. Mansion. What the hell is Mansion's problem? The way I've got to say it, what the hell is Mansion's problem? Uh, I, I, I have never seen in my long years uh, a senator or a representative screw things up as much as he has. This goes back to Joe McCarthy. McCarthy screwed everything up. Uh, but eventually the system dis- disposed of his 
uh, aggravating ways, let me put it that way. Manchin, he, since the first of the year, knowing that he had that one vote that was so important, he's playing God Almighty. All right? He's the man. His word counts. Did you ever hear of him before January? No. Rarely did his name come up. And he'd been in the Senate for 11 years. He, he was just a guy from West Virginia representing the small state that was going down the tubes economically. Uh I don't know what's wrong with him. I wish someone would tell me. Everyone's got an idea. I sense two things are affecting him, okay? Two things are affecting him. He actually, though a registered Democrat and has been his entire life, at this moment in time, he is a Republican in sheep's clothing. He is a Republican wannabe. And before this thing is over, he's going to become a Republican because everything he does helps the Republican cause. He has to be blind not to see how they're playing with the Democratic Party again. And he doesn't bend. In fact, I, I've been writing about this and talking about it. Every day he comes up with something new. <laughs> all right? Every day. I don't know where he gets all these things. Uh, I, what was it? Yesterday he, he, he spoke... Uh, he had a press conference, and he he was upset. He was upset. Nobody was going to tell him what to do. And uh, he was against this, and he was against that. He wanted to see the numbers first, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not a very popular man at the present time with the Democrats, and won't be after this thing is over. Uh, I also think there's another reason besides being a republic a Republican wannabe. Uh, I think he's losing it mentally. I really do. You watch this guy as much as I do. He's losing it mentally. Uh, he's easily upset, and he's combative, and he comes back every day with something else. It's like he's saying, you want to screw me? You came up with this yesterday. I got a new thing today. Don't screw with me. Uh, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. He's, ru he's ruining the country. <laughs> Forget ruining the Democratic Party right now. Uh, he's ruining the country. And he's ruining this golden relationship he was supposed to have had with Bush. I I hope Bush is uh, not Bush with, um, with Biden. Biden keeps saying when the time's right, he will vote the right way. I hope so. Uh, now, Cori Bush, Cori Bush, that's why I had the Bush name, She's a, uh, in, the, in Congress. She's a representative, a Democrat from Missouri, okay? She said yesterday, she said, uh, Manchin's opposition to the reconciliation bill is, and I quote, anti-black, anti-child, anti-woman, anti-immigrant. And you know what? She is absolutely correct. Gasoline prices are going up. We all know it. I spoke about it last week and the week before. I've been writing about it for a couple of months. I mean, right now, when I go to the gas station, it's creeped up at the pump. Every week you go, and it's a little bit more. We all generally fill our cars up once a week. And I'm up $25 already <laughs> a week more, uh, and I'm not the only one. And it's going to keep going. And 
Let me tell you why I think this is interesting. You know, the reason they're giving, well, you know, we had the pandemic, not enough people are working now, and now we have this situation where uh, we have the supply ship problems. We can't get the oil from one country to another. Uh, Everything's behind. Well, they bullshit us. That's the only way I can say it. I apologize for the language I use, but you will agree with me 101% when I explain why I say it. Let's go to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Aramco. Saudi Aramco is a big oil company. And they posted last Friday uh, their profit for the third quarter of this year. Three months. Their profit, they reported, was up 160%. Would you believe it? The third quarter profit was up 160%. Let me put it in proper perspective. 160% in dollars is 34000000000 billion. Can you imagine? I'm paying $25 more a week. You're paying more and more every time you fill your car up. And they made $30.4 billion in three months. Uh, All the oil companies have to be doing this. And they always have an excuse why they can do it. If there ever is a problem anywhere in the world, they say, oh, that's what's causing it. And in reality, how could it? How could the problems they're complaining of, the pandemic and uh, the supply ships, the supply chaos, chaos, uh, when you got this company, up 160% three months, $30.4 billion of net profit. Zuckerberg and Facebook. Uh, this guy has to be brilliant, Zuckerberg. I, I have always admired him. I've got to say something. Anyone who comes from nothing and nowhere and makes it and makes it as big as he did, I admire. It's not easy to make the kind of money he makes. He's what? A multi-billionaire? One of the richest men in the world? Uh, He has to be in the top three. Anyhow, the government's all over him. Everybody's all over him. Uh, You know, this guy employs worldwide over 3,000 people in Facebook. Anyhow, he's in trouble with the government. He's going to get, they're going to break him up like they did the telephone company 40 years ago. They broke the big telephone company up into a lot of little ones that are anti-trust violations. They're going to do it with him because he's gotten too big. No one can control the social media, whether it's his company or any other company, and they can't be permitted. I mean, look at all the things that seem to come out almost every day about I would call them illicit, his illicit activities in making money all over the world. So he must have hired a bunch of smart people who said the first thing you have to do, Mr. Zuckerberg, you got to change the name from, uh, from Facebook to something else. Facebook is gone. It's got a bad image. We've got to get a new name. So they came up with Meta. M-E-T-A, Meta. Meta is short. The full name will be Metaverse, M-E-T-A-V-E-R-S-E. But they're going to call the company Meta, Meta. Zuckerberg told us he went on TV. And uh, the next day, people were laughing at him all around the world, especially the Israelis, because Meta is Hebrew, and it means dead. In Hebrew, dead. 
And so <laughs> someone took out a hashtag, yes, <laughs> and they said, Facebook dead in Hebrew. That's the hashtag, which is getting a lot of responses. And made him look like an asshole. How could the guy do this? He's got all this money. He's got to have a ton of advisors that he pays big dollars to, a ton of lobbies, everything. And they come up with this. No wonder he's in trouble all the time. He probably does everything on his own and really doesn't rely on other people, which must be all right because look at the money he's making. But he's close, another year or two, he's close to being out of money. Uh, not out of money, stop making money, but it won't make any difference when you got a few hundred billion dollars sitting in the bank. Now I want to talk about one of the very best people I have been aware of. I've never got to meet him in the world. Nicholas Kristof. Nicholas Kristof, the New York Times columnist. He has been a columnist for the New York Times for 37 years. He started with them uh, a few years after getting out of college when he was 25. He's now 62, and he's going to leave the newspaper business. Shocking. I, I, I have been a follower of his for 15 or 20 years. I love his columns. I love his articles. The man, and I like when I hear him talking on television on the show, he is so sincere. He is so honest. He's so dedicated to his work. He's always concerned about the downtrodden, the people without, and how we have to help them, and here's why they're this way, and this is what has to be done. He has an insight who, as to who is taking advantage of a business or a government or some part of our society. The man is always right. He's the best in what, one of the best in what he does. There's a lot. He's won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of times. He's leaving. He's left the company last week on good terms with the New York Times. You know why? No, he's 62 years old. He's going to his home state of Oregon, where he still is a resident, and he's going to run for governor next year on the Democratic ticket. He has to be out of his mind. And the reason I say this, the man's 62. I'm 86. I understand what happens as you get older. By the time he hits 70, he's going to be sick and tired of working, believe me. <laughs> All right? Uh, you know, he's got another decade ahead of him. Why do all this hard work? Why campaign? Why run for office? Why take that abuse? He right now is at the pinnacle of what he does in life, his profession being a uh, columnist. Uh, why get involved where it's so hard to do? And I can tell you why. Because I followed the man enough and I've read several of his books. He wants to do good for people. He is always seeking a way to take the downtrodden and give them a hand to help them up. And here's the way out of their dilemma. He is so respected. I don't know anyone who disrespects him or dislikes him. And the reason he's going to go over there to Oregon now and run for governor is a quote he had in his last column last week. And the quote is, we are an amazing species and we can do better. The human people, human people are an amazing species and can do better. And that's what has motivated him his whole life, I believe, and now motivates him. He, I believe this fella believes that he can jump in there, run, win, and then 
run the state of Oregon the right way, show the rest of the country how these things must be done. And I got to tell you something. He'll be presidential timber, timber and 24, 28. Uh, that kind of a guy. Again, I say he's crazy because now he's reaching that time in life where he should sit back and enjoy, write a few less columns every every month, uh, take it easy, travel with his wife, enjoy the grandchildren, all that sort of things. And he's passing that lifestyle by because he wants to go to Oregon and do something politically that would help. And I, I've got to believe in the back of his mind then he can go farther and help the people of our country even more. Sincerely. Sincerely. Chris, now our dear friend, our dear friend Kristen Cinema. Uh, she's the other half of Man- Manson and Cinema. They should have been a vaudeville act. Anyhow, uh, I don't have much respect for her either. Uh, and when people disrespect someone, it's because the person is disrespected, brought it on themselves. She is uh, a senator from Arizona. She believes she is another John McCain. She will never be another John McCain. She is so far from being a John McCain, I, I cannot describe how. You just know. She's 40 years old, supposed to be very intelligent, Probably is. But I'll tell you what she reminds me of. She reminds me of a hippie, a hippie from the 1960s. I was there. I started practicing law in the 1960s. So unfortunately, I never became a hippie. I was a young lawyer. No way was I going to let my hair grow. Uh, And I was going to get a tash and wear crazy clothes. Uh, I wanted to be a success as a lawyer. Lawyers wore suits. I even wore a vest. You wore a tie every day. You got a conservative haircut. But anyhow, uh, she's doing well. People don't like her, but she's there. She got elected. I doubt she would get elected again in Arizona. Even her party's against her now out there, the the Democratic Party. Uh, What has she done wrong? Last week, she presided over the Senate. Uh, You've seen the the Senate chambers, huge room, and in the front is like a a judge's bench, a big bench, and whoever is the boss of the Senate at that particular time sits there and controls the debates and everything else. She's got a mallet in her hand that she can slam down on the desk. And it was her turn to be the presiding officer of the United States Senate. She knew she was going to do it that day. And what do you think her apparel was? What did she come to the chamber with that day when she was going to preside over all of the United States Senate? She wore a black T-shirt and a blue denim vest. She looked like a hippie. I'm serious. She colors her hair, by the way, and wears colored wigs. I think that day she had half her hair in front was pink. Black (laughs) T-shirt, blue denim vest. Why? Why act this way? It doesn't make sense for me, with me, that a person in her place, in her position, with the responsibility she has, would draw to her draw people to her and to her attention to mock her and make fun of her. I can't believe that many people like the way she dresses or wears her hair or anything else. 
let me remind you of something. Uh, there is a movie made in the ni- late 50s, 1950s, or early 1960s starring Marlon Brando called The Wild One. You remember? He was the head of a motorcycle gang, went into a small town, and raised havoc in hell before he left. She reminds me. I'm laughing, but i got to say it. She reminds me, you know, they always they bring their malls, M-O-L-L-S is it, malls, malls, like gun malls. Uh, their, their girlfriends dress the same way as they are in, in denim and black leather and screwy hats. And they're on the motorcycles, too. They either have their own or ride on the back. And she belongs in that movie, okay? All she needs is a motorcycle, and she'd be perfect if they ever did a rerun of that movie. No disrespect intended. That's just how I react to her when I see her in a black T-shirt and a blue denim vest coming into the chambers of the United States Senate. I respect the home of my government. I believe most people in this country do, except for the insurrectionists on January 6th. And I think she's screwy. She's nuts, just like the rest of them. Which now brings me to Cats and the Bubonic Plague. I love this. Cats and the Bubonic Plague. I I wrote an article on this in my blog, and I think it was Friday or Saturday, whatever whatever night was. It was the day before Halloween, so it would have been Saturday. And I said, tomorrow night is Halloween. And on Halloween, you know, the, 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 the bodies come out of the grave and they walk down the streets. The ghosts are running around. Uh, and you've got to be aware of the devil. He's out there trying to capture you. And he's got his henchmen trying to help him. That's what it's all about, okay? Because it, it was the All Hallows evening, and this is a religious holiday that evening. Uh, but now it's also Halloween for the kids. Halloween, trick or treat. Well... Cats, you know, black ones, don't let a black cat walk in front of you. It's bad luck. But all cats, regardless of color, all right, uh, had a problem, (laughs) a 400-year problem beginning sometime in the 1300s, or in the 1200s, rather, in the 1200s, and ran into the 1600s. Pope Gregory IX. Believed? Would you believe what I'm going to share with you now? He believed that the cats, cats were related to the devil. All right, they were they they were guilty of Satanism and witchcraft. And yes, yes, and he believed this, and he wrote an encyclical, Voxi V O X I Rama R A M A. And he instructed all Catholics to kill the cats because they had to kill Satan and the witches. And they would do it by killing the cats. So for 400 years, everybody killed the cats. Uh, what makes it even worse, they even, you remember the Spanish Inquisition? They used to torture people, burn them at the cross and everything else. Well, they set up a special Inquisition for cats special place where they take them, they burn them, they torture them after giving them a trial, of course, uh, like the witches in Salem to determine they were witches uh, or associated in some fashion with the devil. Now, 
within 100 years, there were no more cats. <laughs> I think they, they killed 400,000 cats. There were no cats. But so what? Well, forget that it's not nice to do something like that. The problem was cats kill rats. Follow me. Cats kill rats. Rats carried the bubonic plague. They carried the virus for the germ, whatever it was, for the bubonic plague. Rats. Uh, it would be in their the hair on their bodies. And without the cats to kill them, the rat population grew, so the bubonic plague spread all over Europe. It started in Asia, by the way, and then moved into Europe big time. And all these people died. There was no cure. There was no vaccine at the time. Uh, there was nothing for it. What would happen was the, the flea. There was a special flea. It was called Yersinia something, Yersinia, Yersinia pestis, uh, that would either get into the human body by scratching the human somehow, the rat, or the flea would fly off the body of the rat, the hairy body, and land on the human being's uh, body and bite and infect, and the person would die. And that's how we got the bubonic plague, because some asshole pope, excuse me, I'm a Catholic, said we got to kill them. They're bad people. They, they, they're the devils. They're married to the devil. <laughs> All right, and that was Pope Gregory the Ninth. Well, that's the show for tonight. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed doing, doing this show. I love doing this show, okay? And I'm thinking it's very seriously of expanding it time-wise and content-wise and several different ways also. But whatever, that's the show again for tonight. Join me again next week. Till then, thank you and good night.